0: Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. The Bay Area has a rich diversity of churches and ministries that serve the community in Jesus' name. And here at KFAX, we love to shine a spotlight onto the great things God is doing through the kingdom work of pastors and ministry leaders. We feature a sermon or presentation from that leader to get you better acquainted with churches who will welcome you to worship and ministry opportunities that invite your involvement.
1: Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. Today we are very pleased to have Pastor Keith Crosby of the Hillside Evangelical Free Church in San Jose. You can find Hillside Church at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. Pastor Keith Crosby has been married to Terry since 1990, both of them from Savannah, Georgia. And they have two daughters, Grace and Anna. Grace was recently married to Ivan Udimo, a pastor's son from Concord, and Anna's. is Finishing her degree at California Baptist University in Riverside. Pastor Keith Crosby worked in the hospitality industry before his full time job in ministry, serving in a variety of key leadership and general management roles in resort development and management companies. After enrolling in the Master's Seminary in Sun Valley, he earned a Master of Divinity degree in 2002 and Doctor of Ministry in Expository Preaching in 2015. Find out more about Pastor Keith Crosby online at hillside.org or at our website. kfax.com and listen to his new show grace to live sundays at 10 a.m on am 1100 kfax and now pastor keith crosby on the kfax
2: ministry of the week sunday message we're going to turn our attention to uh sanctity of life sunday and this is a very complex and difficult topic for a number of reasons one is, is I'm doing the slides today, and I'm bound to mess it up, so they're ready to take over in case I blow it. But two is, more importantly, it's a divisive subject. It's a very difficult topic, and many times it's handled with kid gloves, and many times it's handled with uh, a heavy hand, and we want to be biblically centered, we want to be Loving and understanding and grace-driven, but also God-driven, God-centered, and Bible-driven. And I know that there is bound to be someone here today among us who has had an abortion, a lady, a young woman, an older woman, and I want you to understand that nothing—that we have no quarrel with you and that we, we love you and that what I'm about to say isn't aimed at you. It's spoken on your behalf. And there may be a man, young man, older man, who has encouraged somebody to have an abortion or funded it or pressured it, and our quarrel is not with you either. Our quarrel is with the system that propagates and promotes and pursues abortion. And and so I just want us to remember that there are many victims of the abortion industry in this country. And the first and primary victims are the mother and the child. And, and we don't want to treat anyone harshly, unkindly, cruelly, uh, abruptly. So with that said, let's get started. Father, I just ask you to grant me utterance today, Lord. Grant me grace. Grant me clarity, Lord. And Lord, grant us all listening and willing hearts. Father, this is a polarizing issue and it should not be for Christians. Lord, help us not to think about what political parties that we support yet. Uh, that will come later in the sermon. Let us not think about politics at all, but let us think about the one who said, suffer the little children to come unto me, and do not hinder them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us to think about the mothers and the fathers and the sons and the daughters here and with you in heaven. Lord, uh, help us to think biblically, that is to think more like you and less like ourselves, and help us to speak, Lord, as spirit-controlled, spirit-filled people who are uh, manifesting the fruits of the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled Comfortable, and one of the reasons you see it up on the screen and you see the question mark is what you and I have to ask and answer in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own minds, is are we comfortable with the state of affairs as they are today when it comes to abortion, when it comes to uh, terminating the life of a so-called fetus. And my goal today is if you are comfortable, to make you as exceedingly uncomfortable as I possibly, possibly can. Just understand that from the get-go. I wanna talk to you, I want us to have a sane and adult and open-minded conversation. The statistics that I'm using, the research that I'm using, uh, comes from Planned Parenthood or the Guttmacher Institute, which is the research arm there, so this isn't some right-wing, whack-job, so-called pro-life, fanatic uh, presentation and blurring of facts. This is what the industry talks about. And so the statistics are theirs, not ours. And what I want to do today really is is to point out to you that this is really, you know, we talk about civil rights, we talk about Black Lives Matter, we talk about all these kind of things. But this is the greatest civil rights issue of the last two centuries. Slavery was terrible, horrific. Racism from the pit of hell. But the killing of defenseless Unborn human beings transcends all of that. And one of the, one of the tragedies is, uh, particularly in the era in which we live, where we're sensitive to racism and black lives and things like that, is this. I read a statistic. There are 24,000 African-American children born in New York City. I think it was every year. But 31,000 African-American children are aborted in New York City every year. So New York City should be one of the most uh, put upon and and really attacked uh, cities in the country when it comes to racism and Black Lives Matter. Because in New York City, it's very dangerous to be an African-American child because more of you will be killed... by by the government system and by your families than will be killed by drive-by shootings and things like that. More More black children will be killed in New York City than will be born this year. I want you to think about that. To me, that's a civil rights issue. The abortion debate really is a debate about a Holocaust because so many people are dying every day. I, I saw an interesting statistic, and it's really tragic. 92% of all women who learn that they are carrying a Down syndrome baby terminate that baby. I want you to think about that. 92% of Down, Down syndrome children are aborted. Why is that? Well, because they're going, to be, they're going to have congenital heart disease. They're going to be hopelessly deformed. They're going to be burdens to their family And, you know, uh, in some quarters, they don't deserve life. And so they're becoming an extinct, if you want to call them, people group. I have a friend who's my age. He's Down syndrome. We grew up together. And he's one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet in your life. I haven't seen him in 20, 25 years. But. And I have friends who have raised Down's children and are raising them and they find them to be a blessing among the sweetest individuals you'll ever meet in your life. Not undeserving of life, worthy of life. And Down syndrome, children come in all shapes, sizes, genders, and races. And 92% of them never see the light of day. I want you to think about that. Are you comfortable with abortion? I hope not. I'm not. I'm very uncomfortable with the whole culture that... Elevates something called a woman's right to choose over a child's right to live. I just don't think. I think it's a it's a false argument. It's intellectually insincere, intellectually dishonest. And today, I want to make you uncomfortable with the concept of abortion on demand, and and as an abortion in general. There we go. There we go. So what we want to do today is ask some questions about abortion. We're going to ask five questions and try to answer them honestly and sincerely. And the first question that we're going to ask and answer is, why do people abort? Why do people get abortions? Why do mothers abort their children? Why do fathers support mothers who abort their children or compel them to? Why do... Why do dads want their children to get abortions? Why do moms want their children to get abortion? Why do people abort? You know, you hear all about rape and incest, and you know those are terrible crimes, aren't they? I mean, can you? I, I just can't imagine. I had a friend who was raped. You know, an act of violence, terrible thing. And I know an individual who was the, uh, and I counseled him who was the. Uh, His mother was his sister, and his father was really his grandfather. And I know the horror of those kinds of things. I have disciple people through these things, so I take it very seriously. And we hear a lot about this, victims of rape and incest. That's less than 1% of all the children who are aborted. Actually, it's less than eight-tenths of 1%. You know, it's a big emotional thing, but that really isn't why people obtain abortions. Then there's 2.8% is risk to the mother. That's sort of an inflated figure at times because sometimes it's all about the mother's self-esteem, things like that. But 2.8% of abortions occur due to the risk of the mother. Now this statistic it might be about eight years old, but they generally trend and hold true over time. Why, why do people obtain abortions? Risk to the fetus, they do it for the good of the fetus, 3.3%. I wrestle with that because I don't know how killing somebody can do them any good. I really don't. But I don't know if you're looking at this here, the, the, 3.8% have to do with the health of the mother or the child or the commission of a crime or an act of violence or an act of perversion. 3% the good of the fetus. Why else do people get abortions? To postpone childbearing. 25.3%. And, and here's where the statistics get a little blurry and a, little, and a little, little odd. Basically, somebody doesn't want to have a baby right now, and so they determine, or someone sometimes determines for them that, to get an abortion. 7.9% of the people just say they don't want any more children. So that's roughly 8%. obtain abortions for financial reasons. It's going to affect their job. It's going to affect their lifestyle. Maybe they're already poor. And one more baby is going to be an increased financial burden. But you know, I'm not comfortable with most of the reasons here so far. Are you? I mean, I hope not. 10.9%, 11% don't wish to disrupt their educational plans. Now, think about that. Well, you know, I'm in college, and, or I'm in grad school, or this or that, or maybe they're in high school. And their parent or them says, You know, I have a future, and I don't want to disrupt that future right now. Are you comfortable with that kind of reasoning? The eighth reason that people obtain abortions is the baby may strain the relationship with the spouse or partner, with the boyfriend or girlfriend, 14.1%. That's an amazing thought, um, that a mother would put social life above uh, the life of a child I just am not comfortable with that. I just can't be. The ninth reason, 12.2% is that others, family and friends of Jack, You're too young, you're too poor, you're not smart enough, you're too irresponsible to have a child. Now is not the time. Think about that, 12.2%. But what are we really seeing here? Why do people abort? Ninety-six percent of the people abort because of lifestyle issues or personal preferences. Think about that. And four percent, due to medical issues or rape or incest, they say. But even if you accept these numbers from Planned Parenthood and the Guttmacher Institute, what you see is this: is that this big hue and cry about abortion and a woman's right to choose has very little to do with the health of the mother, the well-being of the child, rape or incest. It has to do with money, time, recreation, and irresponsibility. I mean, I don't know how else to look at it. You saw the numbers, you tell me. Are you comfortable with those numbers? Because I'm not, I'm not at all. And this, this, these numbers come from the abortion complex, the multi-million, multi-billion dollar a year industry that is abortion. 96% versus 4%. So we've talked about why we abort. Basically, we abort because we want to and we can That's it. it's mostly due to lifestyle situations or circumstances. And I'm not saying that within that 96%, it's not tough. But at the end of the day, somebody decided maybe to come together outside of the union of holy matrimony, or somebody decided to engage in so-called unprotected sex. And you know what? Just like when you drive a car, or try to purchase a firearm, or have your dogs or cats immunized or whatever or on a leash, there's a responsibility level here. And we are responsible human beings and there are consequences for our choices, both good and bad. And we don't really have a good enough reason to do most of the abortions that we do. And I would submit to you to do any of them. And we'll get to that later. Now, how do we abort? Now, this is where it really becomes uncomfortable. Why do I say that? Because, and I'm not going to, to give you the gory, gory details of saline poisoning or a saline injection or pithing a child like a laboratory rat and destroying its brain in the womb or live vivisection and p- cutting a child into pieces and pulling them out of the mother's body. We're not going to get into all the details. There aren't going to be any pictures and all that stuff. That's unnecessary. But what I am going to tell you is this. We care more about serial killers on death row and how they die and how they die humanely. We hear all these lawsuits about, well, you know, you give them a sedative, you know, to calm them down, you you know, give them an anxiety injection, then you, you give them a sedative or an anesthetic to make them sleep, and then you give them a lethal injection so that they die without suffering. But you know what? Sometimes we just don't do that the right way, and that's inhumane. I want you to think about that. Because most of the means of abortion, really all of them, don't take anything like that into account. They just don't. We, we spend more care euthanizing a dog or a cat, a pet at the vet. We worry more about that as a culture than we do about what goes on in a child's body, mind during the process of abortion. So how do we abort? We abort medievally. Oh yeah, we've changed the trappings, but primarily it's medieval. We abort savagely and largely unnecessarily. That's the facts. We spend more time worrying about killers on death row laboratory animals with the animal rights movement and our dogs and cats than we do worrying about the unborn. And I'm just not comfortable with that. All right, why do we abort? For reasons of lifestyle primarily. How do we abort? Medievally. When do we abort? Let's talk about that. Before we get into all that, let me just walk you through some facts. These are medical facts. They are scientific facts. They are undisputed. But before we get even further into that, I want you to understand. You know, there was it used to be a debate about does life begin at conception. You know, that debate's gone away now. You may have noticed it's been very subtle. Now we're talking about personhood, because the reality is when Roe versus Wade was passed, sonogram technology, a lot of the radiological techniques that we possess today didn't exist then. And the biggest, most unpleasant surprise is, is now we know life begins far earlier than we thought it did. And the problem is this. It's not that life doesn't begin at conception. It just means that we lack the technology in the 70s to know when life began. And now, with greater and greater precision and greater and greater technological advancements, we can determine. We know there's a lot that we don't know, but here's what we do know. it's six-week a baby has brain waves. Now, if you have studied medical ethics, and as a pastor, one of the, I was required to, um, there's something called the Harvard Protocols in the end of life when you, when you take somebody off of life support. And one of the primary objective measures of life are brain waves, is brain waves. And at six weeks, a baby has brain waves. You can't unplug somebody in many cases from life support if they have brain waves, but you can abort a child if he or she has brainwaves. And to me, that is just logically inconsistent. At seven weeks, the baby is swimming in an amniotic fluid. You, we've all seen them kick and move and things like that. They have a natural swimmer stroke. At eight weeks, the baby begins swallowing. Think about that. Do you think that's just a bag of cells, the products of conception, or do you think that's a person? When do we abort? At nine weeks, a child, uh, parents can watch their baby moving around inside the uterus on an ultrasound scanner. I know a lot of us have done that, some of us, in the dark ages, in black and white, but today it's in color. At 10 to 11 weeks, the baby can breathe amniotic fluid and urine is sensitive to touch and can seize an object that is placed in his or her hand. I remember looking at my oldest daughter, Grace, on a sonogram machine and it's like she waved one time. (laughs) And I remember, you know, as they moved that thing around and I got her profile, when she was born, I knew exactly what she was going to look like. And she did. At 11 weeks, the baby's organ systems are functioning the baby has a skeletal structure, nerve, circulation, eyelids, nails, and fingerprints. Now, how do we determine identity a lot of times? Fingerprints, right? Everybody's fingerprints are unique. And I would submit to you, and we're going to see eventually, that every baby is a unique person. At 14 weeks, the baby's heart pumps several quarts of blood through his or her body every day. That's why they used to have the old commercial, you know, or the bumper sticker, abortion stops a beating heart. At 18 weeks, the child is perfectly formed. Perfectly formed. At 19 weeks, the baby can conceivably survive outside the womb. Kenya King was born in Florida June 16th, 1985 at 19 weeks, four and a half months into the gestation period, and she weighed 18 ounces. But even in the third trimester, Kenya King would have been fair game because the fact of the matter is we abort whenever we want to. That, that, in fact, the whole question about when we abort has become largely blurred now with this argument about personhood. In 2002, the Born Alive Infants Protection Act was passed so that babies cannot be aborted after they're born. So that if there's a botched abortion and the baby is born, you can't kill it, although doctors did. Now think about this. You have to pass a law to protect a new a newborn baby from being killed with the authorization of its mother? Or by a doctor who has taken the Hippocratic Oath, chief among that chief in that oath is the statement, do no harm. When do we abort? That's up for debate now. Conversations that would have been considered inconceivable. 30 or 40 years ago Peter Singer the R. W DeCamp professor of bioethics at Princeton University he has, he's since moved on I think he's at uh, MIT he's somewhere a child may be terminated after they are born up until the point they become a fully functional member of society what does that mean? they pay taxes? but I want you to think about this because people you know this is dead serious this is what's going to be taught in, in the schools if it's not already This is the new normal. This is the new normal. According to the uh, Journal of Medical Ethics, an article in 2012, the moral status of an infant is equivalent to that of a fetus in the sense that both lack those properties that justify the attribution of a right to life to an individual. Says who? Where is that written? And as the culture likes to say, who died and made her God." Both a fetus and a newborn certainly are human beings. Well, they got that much right. And potential persons, here is the personhood thing. This is what we're hearing right now. But neither is a person in the sense of a subject moral right to life. What are they basing their ethics on? They reject the Bible. There is no such thing as morals or ethics. If there is no God and the universe doesn't know, the universe doesn't care, how can this individual talk about morals? Think about this. And last but not least, let me go back. That slide's not there. There is some debate in Europe that you can abort a child up to 12 years of age. Now, we say, oh, that'll never happen, that'll never happen. Anybody ever seen the TV show Sister Wives? Don't raise your hands. But it's on reality TV. It's about, um, it's about polygamy. Because when there was a debate about what is marriage and what is the right kind of marriage and this, that, and the other, there was some discussion saying, wait a minute, if you legalize this kind of marriage, pretty soon polygamy will come. They said, oh, no, that'll never happen. There are two or three shows on TV on polygamy And it's beginning to be debated at the law school level and in other places because who says polygamy is wrong? Just like who says it's wrong to kill a child after that child is born. This is where it's headed. The wind has changed. When do we abort? We abort pretty much any time we want to and pretty much for any reason. And I gotta tell you, I'm just not comfortable with that. I'm just not. And I hope you're not either. Now, we come to the $64,000 question. What does the Bible indicate? Does the Bible have anything to say about the, the life of the unborn? Does the Bible take a position? You know, a lot of times people say, well, Jesus never taught on this topic, or Jesus never taught on that topic, but really that's begging the question, and it's an argument from silence. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And until heaven and earth pass away, not one stroke will fall from the law. And the, the Bible speaks to the life of the unborn and the personhood of the child. That's, and I, this is so important because really the pro-death, the pro-abortion industry has, has given up the whole thing about life begins at conception because it's just a matter of time before it's proven that isn't the case. And it can probably be proven using something akin to an electron microscope and some good computer technology. But what they're talking about now is personhood, and we just saw that. There's a talk about potential persons and almost people and the moral right to live. But let's talk about that. What does the Bible say? If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, or you can look at it up here, you're going to see that the Bible over and over again implicitly states that the unborn is a person. The Bible speaks time and time again to the personhood of the unborn. And here's the thing, because we only have 90 minutes for my sermon today, I can't go through it. I can't go, it's going to be a long sermon. I hope you brought your lunch. I can't go through every passage that speaks to this, so I'm having to just sample a few, all right? What does the Bible say? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's room. This is poetic truth. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, other translations say the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were none of them. The psalmist, King David, speaking to God. This is a prayer. And he's talking to God as if, and this is the Holy Spirit, this is Holy Spirit-inspired scripture that God had plans for this man before he was born. God has plans for all of us. Some will live to old age. Some will die younger. Some will become famous. Some will become not so famous. Some will go through life in relative anonymity. Some may be the victims of crime. You could be murdered. But the point is, is that God does cause all things to work together for good. And even what men intend is evil against us, God intends for good. But we must never ever mistake God's grace and his mercy for his approval. And if we take the life of somebody, God knew it was coming. God allowed for it. But it doesn't mean he approved of it. And what we see here, implicit in this text, is the personhood of the unborn. Job 3.3, 3, let the day perish which, on which I was born. Job is lamenting in his agony and suffering. And the night that said, a man is conceived. Now if you know anything about the gestation process and you know cell division, I think mitosis or meiosis, I can't remember which is which. One's for plants, one's for non-plants. Um, Sex differentiation comes later in the game, right? But the bottom line is God knew. God God knew that a man had been conceived. A person had been conceived. He knew the gender, and he knew the future of that individual. That speaks to the personhood of the unborn. It's implicit, and I would argue explicit in the text. And we cannot get away from that, and we can never therefore become comfortable, tolerant, with abortion. John the Baptist's mother, meeting the Virgin Mary, who's no longer, who's bearing child, and she says this, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Feelings and emotions are ascribed to the unborn. And we know that they feel pain. And if you've ever seen, and I hope you haven't, but some of us have, if you've ever seen a a video of an abortion, the baby, I would submit to you, feels pain and great anxiety as it is killed and dismembered. John the Baptist leapt for joy at hearing the voice of Mary. And that's why we can't be comfortable with abortion under any and all circumstances. Now, is there a jugular verse in the Bible? Is there a passage that says killing an unborn person is a bad thing? There is. There is, and it's in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25. Let me read it for you. When men strive together, when men get in a fight, and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out but there is no harm the one who hit her shall surely be fined. and it goes on to say as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine and the pro choice people and a lot of mainline liberal protestant denominations will say see it's not a good thing abortion's not a good thing but it's not that bad of a thing because the, you know they hit her and she gave birth and it was just a fine but that just shows the whole intellectual and theological dishonesty Of that group, because had they read the next verse, we'd see this. But if there is harm, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If two men are striving and they accidentally strike a woman and she gives birth and the baby dies, even though it was an accident, they're going to be executed. So it would seem, and the the terminology about the children coming forth, and we're going to get into Hebrew terminology. This isn't about, I'm not going to give you too much of a Hebrew lesson today, but the word of God uses different terminology for spontaneous abortions or miscarriages, where something unalive or someone unalive is born and uses very different terminology for, for human beings and, and, and birth, not miscarriage. All right, let's see. I'm going to hit that form. There we go. The Hebrew word for miscarriage is shakal, Shane, kof lamed. We see that in verses like this. No one shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Exodus 23, 26. Jacob complaining to Laban. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. Genesis 31, 38. Job 21, 10. The bull breeds without fail. There are cow calves and they do not miscarry. This term has to do with spontaneous abortion or miscarriage in the bible this is the term that is used the bible differentiates between something that occurred naturally and something else which brings us back to our passage want to give me a slide there guys thanks the hebrew word for birth is yatsah okay okay Yod Sade Aleph. The Hebrew word for child is Yaled. Yod Lamed Dalit. And children would be Yaladim, it's plural. And that's what shows up in Exodus 21. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children, I have the lexical form of the term there, Yaled, Yaladim, come out, Yatsah, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine. Okay? This refers to premature birth. Okay, it doesn't refer to miscarriage, all right, in the sense that it was spontaneous. The Bible differentiates between the two. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. You see what's going on here? The word of God understands. The sovereign king of the universe who knows all things past, present, and future exhaustively, the omnipotent, omniscient God differentiates between, recognizes the personhood of the unborn, and prescribes the death penalty, capital punishment, for someone who causes, even by accident, two irresponsible men fighting and they hit this woman and she gives birth and the child dies, it's gonna cost them their life. And then you have the rest of it. You know, people look at this and say, oh, this is so, this is so barbaric. Jus talones, right, the law of the talon, ancient Near Eastern jurisprudence. But what this really is is not the law of the talon. This is if you want to call it um, l- the limits placed on liability here. Because if the child doesn't die then, then, then the punishment must fit the crime. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It's an ancient Near Eastern formula for justice. For the punishment fitting the crime. And yet it's, it's the basis for our Judeo-Christian culture which we have jettisoned and the British common law legal system and our own penal code on a state and a federal level. In just about all 50 states, if there's a a robbery and somebody shoots a pregnant woman, they're charged for two murders. You ever think of the hypocrisy of that? Wait a minute. Well, they killed her and her unborn child. Well, I thought the child wasn't a person. Maybe the child was a potential person. Maybe the child was just products of conception. No, you see, our society has bought and sold, it, sold itself and bought a bill of goods. And these unborn people are just that, people. The Bible says the unborn possess personhood. And furthermore, people talk about, well, this is the law, you know, this is the law. Well, has you know, heaven and earth passed away? This moral law Stays in place. And even if you go back into the Old Testament before the law was given to Moses, you have this in Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. When you kill somebody in the image and likeness of God, somebody who's created in the image and likeness of God, the penalty in God's mind is death. Okay? Capital punishment or some would call it capital protection because you really don't correct somebody's behavior, you eliminate it and protect society from it. That's a whole nother discussion. The penalty for taking a human life unprovoked murder, not self-defense, not killing somebody in war, but murder is death and I would submit to you that killing an unborn child is unprovoked murder. The child hasn't done anything to endanger anyone God recognizes that that unborn child is created in his image and his likeness. And that's why I'm uncomfortable with abortion. Abortion is killing unborn human persons. Abortion is morally wrong. Abortion is sin. And abortion is murder. And this is what you've got to come to grips with because you know what? You've been the product of a culture that is inundated through the media and everything else where a very comfortable group of people But the bottom line is, it's murder. That's what it is. It's legalized murder. Government is the right to kill. I get that. But the bottom line is, as a Christian, and I'm talking about a born-again Christian, not a professing Christian, as the real McCoy. There is no way that you and I can be comfortable with abortion. There is no way on God's green earth, from the Bible, from God himself, That a born-again Christian can support anyone or anything or any institution that promotes abortion, that supports abortion in any way, shape, or form. And that's what you really have to think about right now, because that puts you outside looking in on the culture. It puts you on the wrong side of the debate, particularly here in Northern California, and people will say, well, you're on the wrong side of history, well, maybe history is on the wrong side of God. What about cases of rape or incest? Let's talk about that. In North Korea, when you commit a crime, they punish your child and your parents. They punish three generations of people. Now, you've seen my daughter, Anna, you know. She has all of her mother's good qualities and none of my bad ones. (laughs) If I robbed a bank, should she be put in jail for it? If I committed murder, should she be executed? Why do we punish children for the sins of the father? And don't misquote scripture to me. The sins of the father in Ezekiel 18 are not visited down upon the sins of the children. Yet, the child in a rape or an incest is just as much the victim as the mother. And so, because of what the father did, we were like North Koreans. We're like those sociopaths and psychopaths that rule the Korean government. We kill the next generation for the sins of the father, for the crimes of the father? I don't think so. I'm not comfortable with that. I remember Pastor Brian telling me that he was at a retreat and somebody got up and said, well, this is gross that somebody would let a child, a product of rape or incest be born. And a a little girl stood up and goes, well, you know what? I'm one of those children and my mother kept me. Why should she have been executed? It amazes me that people who don't believe in capital punishment believe in abortion. How is that possible how can anybody be comfortable with that kind of thinking what if a political party does a lot of good but aggressively defends abortion and promotes abortion let me show you an example of one such political party everybody knows who that man is with the two dears that's adolf hitler adolf hitler broke big banking in germany we can't even break big banking here. doesn't matter what regime is in power or what political party. He created a thriving economy with low unemployment. He emphasized respect for women and children and families. He was an environmentalist and an animal rights advocate. You mistreat an animal in Nazi Germany and you could wind up in a concentration camp. He just had one little problem. He liked to slaughter people like Jews, gypsies, Eastern Europeans, and homosexuals. But hey, you know what's good for Germany? What's good for Hitler, you know? This is where we are right now. This is where we are. You know, I look at the libertarians, the Democrats, and Republicans. They're all a bunch of losers, basically. Okay, <laughs> I'm not talking about your local guy or gal who's running for office, but essentially. They, they self-perpetuate and propagate their own existence at the expense of the populace. And I have no illusions that one party is better than the other. But let me tell you what, when I have to, and the Green Party's right there, just I'm, I'm an equal opportunity destroyer, and the American Party, and the Independent Party, and the Party Party, you know. But at the end of the day, when there is, ever there is an election, if somebody's running for dog catcher, somebody's running for mayor, somebody's running for Congress, Senate, State Assembly, president. If somebody's appointing Supreme Court justices, I ask two questions. One, what does the party stand for? Pro-life or pro-death? And two, which group is, is more likely or less likely to allow me to worship and exercise my religious freedoms without impinging on them or inhibiting them. And That's it, I don't care about the personality of of, of the candidate, you can't get that high up on the food chain and be an honest, forthright person. <laughs> you just can't, you really can't. And you know, we've called Bill Clinton a rapist, we call George Bush a Nazi, we call Barack Obama a communist, we call Donald Trump You know what, the bottom line is, where did they come down on this issue? Because really, this is an issue of eternal consequence and the rest is window dressing. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what you have tolerated, what you've been comfortable with and what you've supported, directly or indirectly. Because it's really, this is kind of an Occam's razor approach to life, let's just simplify it down to the simplest terms possible. Do you vote for people who slaughter people? Do you vote for parties that slaughter people, that promote it, that advance it, that defend it? There was a senator from Chicago who later ran for president and he opposed the live birth uh, legislation because he said it might limit the rights of the mother. So a child is born and you can kill it after it's born and we... I just don't get that. I'm not comfortable with that. And you shouldn't be either. The word of God has made it very clear to us that the unborn is a person. And that killing the unborn through negligence is a capital offense. And that killing the unborn, we should be glad that we're alive in the age of grace. There'd be a lot more dead people. Killing the unborn on purpose is certain. if you're gonna kill a man for being negligent and causing a, an unborn child to die, what do you think you're gonna do to a doctor Who willfully aborts an unborn child. And 96 to 97% of the time for matters of lifestyle or convenience. You can't be comfortable with this, guys. You just can't. So, what can you do? What do we do? You know what? I don't stand on street corners with pictures of aborted babies. I think it's stupid. I think it's harsh. I think it's unkind and unloving. I do vote pro life and not pro Holocaust, however religiously I support adoption my nephew has adopted children in Ethiopia China he's getting a second one from China um, from all over the place you know why? because adopting a child in the U.S. is too hard too expensive and there are too many people who want them why? because we're aborting all these other ones support adoption support life Thirdly, locally, support real options. I think they're going to have a table out here today. Um, that is like something akin to a crisis pregnancy center or crisis pregnancy counseling. Fourthly, think biblically rather than culturally or politically. You're not citizens of the United States. You're citizens of heaven. You're just passing through. You just happen to be born here. You could have been born In Ulaanbaatar, Outer Mongolia, but you would have still been a citizen of heaven if you were a Christian, a born-again Christian. Okay? Number five, remember that God isn't looking for your vote. He's not looking for your approval. He's looking for your obedience. He's not an elected official running for office. No lobbyist can buy God. You can't earn his favor, but you can worship him by living a life that is consistent with what the Bible teaches and six, be honest with yourself and others. If you're going to come at me by email or text or some other form social media after this message, you better you better come chapter and verse. I don't want to hear anything while well, I think I feel. I don't care how you think, and I don't care how you feel. I care what the Word of God says. So come with your so come prepared or don't come at all and come with the Bible. Don't cut and paste something from your favorite website that believes like you do because I'll Google it and I'll find it and I'll chastise you in a loving and fatherly way. I can't tell you how many people, they, they, they discover a website they think nobody else has seen and they cut and paste and go, there! And then, you know, as a guy who used to really enjoy brutal debate before I was a Christian, you know, it, it doesn't bring out the best in me, Okay? Okay? All right, so be honest with yourself and others, all right? Now, what about people who have had abortions? There is no pit, pe- there, no there is no pit so deep that God's love isn't deeper still. And I don't care who you are or what you did, where you came from or what you used to believe, there's no obstacle so big in your life that God's love cannot help you soar above it. Peter denied Christ three times. Paul used to slaughter Christians. I met a man once who killed a police officer when he was 12, and he's a pastor. We all do things. The wages of sin is death, okay? But the free gift of God is eternal life. There is forgiveness, there is hope, there is healing. There is kindness, and there is love. And our job as Christians is to love on people, it's not to bring the hammer. It's not to give them genuine frontier justice. It's to love. It's to show grace. That's one of the things I appreciate about real options. They have, they're having a retreat for victims of abortion, mothers who have had abortions. They have all kinds of, you know, that's Christ-like. That's what we're supposed to be like. None of us are any better Some of us are a whole lot worse than other people. You can't look down on anybody. You can only look up to the Savior. And I just want to encourage you that there is forgiveness, there is healing, and there is restoration. And nobody here in any one of these chairs or any one of these pews has any right to criticize you, to look down on you, or to make you feel terrible. We're all terrible sinners, and Jesus Christ is a wonderful Savior. I just want to encourage you there is hope, there is help, there is restoration, and there is healing. And God loves you just as much as He loves anybody else. And I just want to leave you with that thought. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, this was a difficult topic and a difficult message to deliver. Lord, help us, Father. Help us not to be comfortable with abortion, Lord. Help us not to support it in any way, shape, or form, to encourage it, Lord, and help us to all realize that you know some of us were murderers and killers and this, that, and the other, and liars and adulterers, and and as it says in 1 Corinthians, and such were some of you until you were washed and cleansed. Lord, help us to realize. Help us to love. Help us to minister. Help us to encourage. Help us to challenge. Help us to evangelize. Help us to hold those who hurt in our arms as they cry out to you, Abba, Father. Lord, help us to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Evangelical Free Church in San Jose on the KFAX Ministry of the Week Sunday Message. You can listen to Pastor Keith Crosby every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on AM 1100 KFAX for his show, Grace to Live. Find Hillside EFC at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. And find out more about Pastor Keith Crosby at their website, hillside.org, or at our website, kfax.com where you can also find links to podcasts of this program. I'm Mike Matthews. Join us here again next week for the Ministry of the Week Sunday message on AM 1100 KFAX.